Welcome to the Fertility Journeys podcast. Here's Dr. Shala Salem. Finding community is so important when you're on the fertility journey, and particularly if you've experienced pregnancy loss. And today my guest has built a platform to help support women and couples dealing with recurrent loss. Welcome, Allison Shaw. As I was going through everything, my husband and I would sit down and talk about everything we were going through. We're both entrepreneurs by background, and we both would just say, there's got to be more out there resource-wise for women specifically going through recurrent loss. And we just kept coming back to it time and again. I was like, well, I'm going to create it. When I created it, I knew that part of that had to be sharing my story. And just because like I wanted to see stories of women going through what I was going through and to, you know, help women to see it's not your fault. I'm a dietitian and I eat healthy. Mm-hmm. I do consider myself a healthy person and I don't think it was anything I was doing wrong. And I want other women to see that and not have that guilt and shame that sometimes comes with it. I know the fertility journey is not easy. Many suffer in silence, walking that line between hope and devastation. More often than we know, the path to building a family is met with challenges. I'm Dr. Shala Salem, and for over a decade, I have been helping people just like you on their fertility journey. As a physician and a PCOS warrior who's gone through my own fertility struggles, I am passionate about helping to support your mental and physical well-being, foster your resilience, and help you maintain your sense of self on this difficult journey. I created this podcast to support you. Each week, you can learn from our expert guests about proven holistic and integrative methods to nurture your mind, body, and spirit, and hear women share their own stories to remind you that you are not alone. Welcome to Fertility Journeys. Fertility Journey Life Hacks. Here's the tip of the week. If you had followed me at all, you know that I'm really passionate about environmental toxins, and you're going to hear this topic pop up a lot on this show. I want to speak today about a particular chemical family called phthalates and why it's important. So just a little bit of background. There's about 85,000 chemicals that we know of. 200 or less have been tested, and very few have been banned in this country. We have a policy presuming chemicals are safe until proven otherwise. But at what point are we going to stop this terrible human experiment? Shouldn't we assume that it's unsafe until we know that it's safe? It seems kind of backwards that we just assume things are safe. We are all exposed to chemicals all day, every day. Plastics, food packaging, receipts, beauty products, cleaning supplies, home fragrances, furnishings, mattresses, carpets, you name it, there's lots of exposures. And so we really can't get away. We know that about 98% of the population has exposure to certain chemicals like PPA or phthalates. So we're not going to eliminate exposure. But what are we going to do? We are going to reduce exposure. And so recently, Dr. Shauna Swan released a book titled Countdown. Perhaps you've seen it or you've read some of the shocking headlines, like falling sperm counts threaten humanity. Chemicals are to blame. Sperm counts could reach zero by the year 2045. Most couples may have to use assisted reproduction by the year 2045 and on and on. And in her book, she details her research in the area of phthalates for over two decades. And her research supports the dropping of sperm counts by 50% in the last 50 years. 
Fertility rates are declining by 1% each year. Miscarriages are increasing by 1% each year. And testosterone levels are declining by 1% each year. That doesn't sound very good, does it? One group of chemicals that Dr. Schwann has pointed to is a group called phthalates. Phthalates are what we call endocrine disruptors. So they interfere with the actions of our own hormones. And I could spend an entire episode just talking about phthalates. But I want to leave you with some key actionable info to help you feel less powerless and more in control. Now, there's been studies on patients undergoing IVF that found those who had the highest levels of phthalates, it has been linked to poor quality eggs, poor embryo quality, lower pregnancy rates, and higher rates of miscarriages. Other studies have also implicated phthalates in the development of endometriosis. Phthalates are found in plastics, beauty products, personal care products, cleaning products, candles, home fragrances, and again, the list goes on. The things that you can do to help reduce your exposure to phthalates is reduction in plastic use, plastic that comes in contact with your food or beverages. And takeout containers is one that can be problematic. So this is why I recommend that women and men reduce the amount of takeout during the week. Evaluate your beauty and personal care products. This is something that you can do on either Environmental Working Group or Made Safe. Those two websites are great to help you vet products to see what safer options are. And there are a lot of safer options these days. It is not like 10 years ago when I started this process and there were very few makeup options and very few body care products. The other thing you should look at is cleaning supplies. So many of our cleaning supplies have fragrance. Whenever you see fragrance, fragrance equals phthalates. Like 99% of the time, just understand if you see fragrance, perfume, parfum, any of those words, that's code for phthalates. So look at, again, Environmental Working Group and Made Safe. Those are two great places for you to find alternative options for cleaning supplies that are safe. I'm going to be continuing to share more information on the topic of toxin reduction in the home on this show. This is a topic that you're going to hear me talking about a lot. If there are any particular things that you want to hear about, I want to hear from you. Please reach out on social media. I'd love to hear what are the things you'd like me to speak about. Thanks so much for joining me today. Finding community is so important when you're on the fertility journey, and particularly if you've experienced pregnancy loss. And today my guest has built a platform to help support women and couples dealing with recurrent loss. Welcome, Allison Shaw. Hi, thank you for having me today. Yeah, thank you for being here. I really love the work that you're doing with your platform, Miscarriage Hope Desk. And I wanted to see if you could tell us a little bit about the platform and what inspired you. And that may take us into speaking about your fertility journey as well. Yeah, I like to say that Miscarriage Hope Desk is the resource I wish I would have had when I was going through my fertility journey, which, as you referenced, included multiple miscarriages. And when I looked around, there were a lot of infertility resources, but a lot of those were aimed for women that weren't getting pregnant. And I found myself in a different boat where I was getting pregnant, but the pregnancies just weren't sticking. And 
I just felt very alone in that journey and didn't realize that there were other women going through a similar path. You're right, because although there are a lot of women going through it, it is a smaller set in the infertility community. So it becomes very isolating and already in a situation that feels lonely. I really love that you've focused on looking at articles and all the work that you do to help the women who are dealing with loss. Tell us a little bit more about what you have on the platform and what you offer for women. There's a few pieces, again, going back to like things that I wish I would have had. Number one is those research articles that you referenced. So I found a lot of times when I was Googling for different issues or protocols or just anything related to pregnancy loss, the articles that I found were light in terms of content. I call them fluff pieces. And when you're going through something like that, that's impacting you in such a big way, I wanted the details. I wanted to know what the research was saying. A lot of the articles were just echoing what my doctor had said, but not going into more detail than that. So with the articles I really set out, I have a medical writer that goes in depth and really looks at the research and why are we making certain recommendations and just really looking at it. So that's um, one piece is those articles that are on our website. Another piece that was really important to me was stories of hope. So stories of other women who had gone through a similar struggle but come out on the other side. Those stories are both on our website and then we also have a podcast which has those stories of hope, and then also some interviews with experts in the field. We also have some social media presence, both on Instagram and a private Facebook group. There's a weekly newsletter. And then we have one program right now that's called Moving Forward for women looking to kind of surely with indecision and next steps after loss. And we have some other courses in the works right now as well. What you said about articles and being fluff pieces, mm -hmm. I think that's correct. You're right. When you go and Google, you're going to find very surface level information. And one of the things that you're doing that's very different from any other platform is really offering very in-depth articles, which is hard because you go to your doctor, you probably, unfortunately, even in a scenario where you're dealing with, you know, the diagnosis of a, a pregnancy loss and miscarriage, they may only have 10, 15 minutes for you and you want to get more answers. So I think that really allows for women to get a deeper dive and have more of an understanding. And like you said, you have a science review and you have an advisory board and all that. So we know that these articles are sound and you're not going to just get information that you may not be able to trust. So I highly encourage anybody out there to go and take a look at your website and also your podcast is fabulous. It gives so much hope to listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about your fertility journey? Yeah, I will. And I've retold my story, you know, several times at this point. And so I want to preface it with a few things. One, I'll tell a shortened version, but I don't want that to downplay how difficult it really is in the moment. And to just also know that I have, because I've reshared it several times, sometimes I talk about it and don't get emotional. That doesn't mean that it wasn't a difficult journey. So if you're listening to this and you are going through miscarriage, know that it was really hard for me in the moment and still is at times. But so it started out with my husband and I deciding we wanted to start a family and thinking the biggest decision was how many kids were we going to have? And we were close, but we were off by one number. He wanted one more than I did. And we thought that was going to be kind of our biggest issue that we were going right. run into. We had just mm -hmm. no idea, right? We really were hopeful and ready to start a family. And 
pretty quickly found out that it was going to be not as easy as we thought. So when we started trying to get pregnant, the first one was actually really interesting in that I did not realize. So we were trying to get pregnant and I had what I thought was a period. Um, Looking back, it wasn't a, a true period because two weeks later I had a lot of bleeding and went into the emergency room and found out that my HCG levels were on track with a six-week pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that miscarriage was different than the rest. And I didn't even realize I was pregnant, but it was very traumatic because there was this whole day spent in the emergency room of, oh, you're pregnant. And then they treated me as if I was pregnant when, you know, yes, I was pregnant, but I was in the process of losing mm-hmm. that pregnancy. So while I didn't have the typical experience of a miscarriage, it was definitely, you know, a traumatic experience. Um, But from there, I was hopeful that I would just go on. I started looking into it and found the statistic of one in four pregnancies and in miscarriage. And this is very common, but most women go on to have a healthy pregnancy. So we started trying again. And within a few months, we were pregnant again. Um, This time, knew right away we were very excited about it. I think it was the seven-week mark. I started spotting. By the next day, I was bleeding pretty heavily and went into my doctor's office to find out that it was indeed a miscarriage. And at that point, it really hit us hard. Wow, this happened two times in a row now. So something's something's going on here, right? And I went to my doctor and luckily she was open to doing more testing. A lot of times some doctors will wait until three, but with the two and as they call it, my advanced maternal age, they did do some testing, found out that I have a blood clotting um, issue called antiphospholipid syndrome. So that in some ways, it's funny when you're in the world of fertility, when you get a diagnosis, in some ways it's good news because you have a quote unquote answer or, you know, kind of this explanation. So We were then hopeful that we could go on with this protocol of using blood thinners, that then we would go on to have a successful pregnancy. So with pregnancy number three, we were on that protocol. I got pregnant. Things were going well. I had uh, some positive ultrasounds. I was super sick. I was throwing up nonstop. So I thought that surely was a good sign of a healthy pregnancy. But with that one, we went in for, I believe it was the 10 or 11 week scan. And even though I was still sick, I still felt very pregnant. There was no heartbeat on the ultrasound. So that one in particular was really devastating just to get that far along. And with everything we'd been through and this new protocol that um, really had us hopeful that we'd found our answer. So at that point, I was pretty devastated, probably one of the lower um, points in, in my life, to be honest. And didn't really know what to do. I was taking a step back. I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I can't just keep going through these pregnancies only to have them end in loss. I just really wasn't hopeful at that point. After that miscarriage, we took a trip and I had kind of my like breakdown moment where I broke down and just like sobbing. And I think in that moment, I already had this voice in me that was um, calling me to adopt and I started the discussion with my husband pretty soon after that third miscarriage. He wasn't immediately 
<laughs> on board with that. Like that, we discussed adoption as a possibility. We always thought we'd have a, a few kids and then potentially adopt. But I just really felt strongly that that's where I was being called. And then over the next month or two, I meditate, I pray. And when I did that, I just felt like God was speaking to me. I like literally would hear adoption. So I just knew. And then my husband came around and started the process for adoption. I always say if someone wants to know more about adoption, that my story may not be the best one to follow because it was pretty atypical and that it happened very quickly. And I know that's not how it usually is. Adoption can include a lot of loss, just like a fertility journey can. But ours was really speedy. And on the due date, when I would have had the, when that baby from the third pregnancy would have been born, we had a baby boy in our arms and that's our first son. So that felt very magical and just everything lined up. And again, it happened really quickly and just really felt meant to be. And um, so crazy that he came at the same time that that baby was due to be born. So that was our third. As we were doing the adoption planning, I had a fourth pregnancy then and made it to, I think, six or seven weeks again, did all the things. And in some ways, it just, to me, reaffirmed, I think adoption is what I need to do right now. It just right. was wearing on me. I, I would always tell my husband, mm -hmm. I don't know what the number is in terms of miscarriages, but I know there will be a number where I can't take any more. Right. Um, and when we got to them, I was like, yeah, we really need to adopt now. A break from this, this kind of, I called it like my downward spiral. But then after the adoption, I also had another pregnancy. Oh, um, so this is number five at this point. And that one did not last. That one was probably my quickest one, but I always like to mention that one um, because when whenever you adopt, everyone always says, well, now that you've adopted, you'll get pregnant and it'll just work. And that's yeah. the <laughs> what everyone likes to reassure you of. And it did not. So we had that that fifth pregnancy right afterwards. And I was excited. I thought, hey, here's that thing everyone talks about. Really? Our, our kids will be nine months apart. This will be great. Like we waited all this time and now it'll just all work out. And that wasn't the case. So after that, I told my husband, we really do need to like just because, you know, we were continuing to try. Right. So we were like, if it would happen. And but I was like, I need a break. We need to focus on this baby that we have here and then go in for some more testing, figure some more things. So at that point, we started meeting with different IVF clinics and starting to go. Actually, we didn't go through the process. We interviewed a few clinics and mm -hmm. I would Go, go back and forth of, well, if I'm getting pregnant, what is IVF going to help? A lot of them would say, well, if there are chromosomal issues like that, you can do PGS testing and help with that. But we did test with that third pregnancy and there were no chromosomal issues with that pregnancy. Then one of the, one clinic that we were testing, they tested my husband for some tests. I think at this point, this was literally maybe one of the first times anyone had tested my husband. Mm -hmm. And even though we'd always ask, like, are you sure you don't want to test him? Is there nothing to test for? And sure enough, he had some sperm DNA fragmentation. And if you use the ICSI sperm, that can help with the fragmentation. So we decided to move forward with doing a round of IVF. This is a year. Our son was nine months old at this point. So I went through a round of IVF. And my biggest takeaway there is that, again, the short version of that story is by the end of it, we ended up with no viable embryos, which was pretty shocking to our doctor and very shocking to us. Like we went into it thinking this would give us options. Yeah. We would have some some embryos and then we would have decisions to make moving forward with that. So it was 
really shocking and devastating and really made me realize like how that fertility journey, the IVF process, there's a lot of loss in there that really resembles the loss that you go through with miscarriage, right? Because it's a this pregnancy or this child that you're following along this process. And so to end up with no embryos was really devastating. And we just really felt, what are we going to do if we can't, if this isn't even an option for us? Right. Um, so at that point, and throughout all this, I'm doing a lot of testing and figuring things out and changing up supplement routine. But we kind of regrouped and said, let's spend the 90 days and just really every single thing we can do. Let's like go through. And we were already eating what we thought was a clean diet. We we're doing the supplements. Let's just do every single thing we can think of for 90 days and give it one more shot and also revisit the protocol we used and see if mm -hmm. there were things we could change up there. And we were working with someone on that. And one month into that process, I got pregnant <laughs> and that pregnancy, it stuck. And once I got pregnant, you know, I had, of course, the blood thinning protocol that I went on, but we also did a few things to account for the sperm DNA fragmentation and a few different things there. But that pregnancy mm -hmm. stuck and my second son was born September of last year. So I now have mm -hmm. two little boys, one through adoption and one biological. And mm -hmm. the other interesting thing is that right before I got pregnant, I knew I wanted to start Miscarriage Hope Desk and I had formed Miscarriage Hope Desk and started that ball rolling right before the pregnancy. And that website was built out at the same time as I was pregnant. And so it was this, I guess, meant to be way that it happened where I was building out this platform to help women who were struggling with this, like throughout that pregnancy, it launched like a few months before I gave birth. So, and that was last year. Thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate you being here to speak about it. You went through a lot of challenges. Unfortunately, you went through a lot of painful experiences. How did you stay hopeful and continue on the journey and ultimately decide to try things like IVF, which unfortunately didn't work out for you? But what made you continue? Well, you know, I think in some ways it was like at times giving myself the space to like not continue, right? And in some points, I think I didn't give myself maybe the space that I did need. But really, after going through a miscarriage, giving myself time, okay, I need to go through the grieving process and kind of regroup. For me, going through the process of adoption, and because it was something we already had talked about even before fertility issues, that kind of helped shift my focus and give me some like new hope and something new to focus on. But even throughout the process, I mean, just finding other women that were going through it and hearing that that was really the biggest thing is, oh, I didn't even know it was possible to have five miscarriages. You know, I've had a friend there that's had miscarriage and I've heard them talk about that. But mm -hmm. to have five, I didn't know what does that even mean and what's the outcome there. So I would just Google or get on podcasts and try and find women that had been through that. And then when I would hear that, realize, oh, you can have that and still go on to have a successful pregnancy. That really honestly gave me a lot of hope, but just trying to mm -hmm. figure out what do I need to do to get from here to there. So, Did you work with a therapist during that time to help you? Yes. I worked with a therapist often on different times throughout. And I think even more so a lot of times my husband and I worked with a therapist. You know, it was a lot to go through. And Overall, we were very aligned in what we wanted. We always knew we wanted a family and neither of us faltered in that. But how we grieved was very different. What we wanted at times was very different. There were times where 
we would want to go different directions. And those are hard conversations to have. And so having a therapist there to really guide us through those difficult conversations was really helpful. Yeah, definitely helpful. (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad that you were able to find someone who could help you as a couple because you're you're right. I see a lot of patients and women who are struggling with the idea that their husband is grieving differently than they are. And that doesn't mean that they're not experiencing pain as you are. It's just sometimes it materializes different, right? Yep. Did you use any other types of techniques besides working with a mental health professional? Did you do any mind-body techniques or anything that helped you during that process? Yeah. I've probably tried most of what's out there. I meditate on a pretty regular basis. I feel like meditation has always helped me. Prayer is something that personally I relied on a lot. I did a lot of different energy work, different types of modalities, but I feel like a lot of them were getting at the same thing as like helping shift your energy. One thing that we did Right before the successful pregnancy, and I'm not saying, oh, this is the thing, because I really don't think it is. I had taken a girl's trip to Guatemala to like a yoga retreat center, and we did a sweat lodge and a sound bath. It's just you have to find something that resonates with you and that can help you get back to a feeling of calm. And it's like the big question of, well, if stress is harmful, how do you not stress and how do you not stress about being stressed? Right. And so anything in the moment. So what I always say is I would always go with what resonated with me at the time, but also not trying to do too much. Like you can't do all of it, but I definitely think any of that is helpful, right? Because it's all going to help calm your body and your mind. Mm -hmm. So it a lot of all of it. (laughs) And just long walk. Sometimes really long walk is really helpful. Like you said, uh, you always get the people saying don't stress or stress isn't good, but you're going through something that's very stressful. And then you end up stressing about stressing, right? Yeah. So it, it's something that it's good to try to use these mind body techniques to help. I mean, it's easier said than done. I know that meditation and things like that are not for everybody, but they can be beneficial and helpful. And I'm glad that those things were helpful for you. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you get questions, a lot of questions about, well, you've done all the things. What do you think helped you to be successful? And I think that's probably difficult, right? Because yeah. you started doing all the things at the end and no one really will have the answer. But what do you say when people come to you with that kind of question? Yeah, well, I mean, again, if it feels good for you, and that's not just good in the moment, but kind of like, tapping into that intuition, I think, and really listening to your body. I think you have to figure out a way to tap into that and see what feels right for you in the moment. And at the end of the day, if it's going to help you be this healthier, happier person, do that thing. And great, if it helps boost your fertility, great. But if not, it's still making you a healthier, happier person. So that's something like, you know, eat a well-balanced diet cut down on the alcohol and the sugar and you'll feel better regardless. So this is going to be a positive change, even if it's not directly related to your fertility. And hey, it'll prepare you for parents too. So finding what's right. For me, there's not one thing. There's several things that I think all helped. And to me, a big one is that like the thing that I hate to hear of trying not to stress, but I think really just creating space. I'm a big proponent of creating space for the things you Mm -hmm. want in life. And I think pregnancy is something you have to create the kind of like emotional and physical space for in some way too. 
Yeah. And I think finding, like you said, seeing what feels good for you, because I know sometimes we might say, well, my friend did X, so I should do yes. that. But if it's something that's not comfortable for you or you don't enjoy acupuncture, then it's just going to become a more stressful experience for you. And the mm -hmm. other thing is, like you said, you want to create optimal wellness, right? So is it the thing that's going to prevent pregnancy loss? It's probably not the cause of the pregnancy loss and maybe you're not eating perfectly. That's not the cause, but it's going to help you to hopefully take care of your mental health, take care of your physical body and overall help to support you along the way because it's, it's a very difficult thing to go through. And the one thing I will point out that I do think might have been helpful and I think it's overlooked is my husband, especially towards the end of it, he was doing things alongside with me and through some of the research and articles we've done at Miscarriage Hope Desk, I'm amazed at how many doctors say, well, you're getting pregnant, so we don't need to look at your husband. But the fact of the matter is you need a really healthy sperm to mm -hmm. maintain the pregnancy, not just to get pregnant. So I definitely think both of us like getting healthier made a difference. But I think really not putting all of the focus just on the female and also realizing all of these things that are good for Allison, is, it's also good for my husband to do as well. So cleaning up his diet, looking at supplements, stressing less, doing the meditation, like doing all those things right alongside with me is really beneficial as well. So that's something I, I do point out because I think that gets overlooked. I couldn't agree more, Allison, because oftentimes it's the woman who's like, what should I do? What can I eat? What can I do? And I always try to recommend the couple do it together. Like you said, not only to help us have better egg and sperm, but also supporting each other. Sometimes it can be a source of connection, cooking together, getting in the kitchen together, helping to prepare the meals. Maybe that's a way that a partner can support his female partner who's going through challenges by helping her to purchase the things that she needs for the kitchen or getting supplements and just yeah. helping to connect that way. Yeah, I agree. What kind of advice would you give yourself looking back at your journey now obviously hindsight is always 2020 but i'm sure you have things that maybe you wish you could tell yourself back then if i knew in the moment what the future looked like i wouldn't have been so upset right i actually would get that sometimes if i really got calm with myself I would feel that and I would almost hear that of, look, like if you knew what's in store for you, I'm going to choke up just talking about it, but if you knew what is in store for you, you would not be so upset right now. And when we were in the process of adoption, I would say that to my husband a lot. I would be like, if we knew how fast this was going to happen, we would not be sitting here stressed about this because like then a week later we had a baby in our arms. And mm -hmm. so it's one of those things of in the moment, it feels so devastating. And like, are we ever going to get to the family we want? And then now like having gotten to my family, it's just, it's so amazing. And so I think if I would have known what was in store, it wouldn't have been as, I don't know, it's still a difficult yeah. journey, but if I would have had any sort of insight, I could have really yeah. that and been helpful. Thank you for sharing that. The other thing I wanted you to also speak about, I'm sure you may have also experienced that it was quite difficult being pregnant after yeah. all of what you've gone through. Can you speak a little bit about that and how did you handle your stress or any anxiety that you experienced being pregnant after going through so much loss? Yeah, pregnancy after loss is, it can be so difficult. And that's where, honestly, that's where I use my therapist more than ever was every time I was pregnant because, and especially my 
you know, pregnancy I just went through because not only was it like after all these miscarriages, but then it was also in the middle of a pandemic. And yeah, just being able to find joy in pregnancy can be really tricky and it has to be intentional. The joy did not come naturally to me, but I really did make an effort to find joy through that pregnancy and to do things like take photos and mm-hmm. tell people, you know, and I would share the news with people that I knew and to share the news with and celebrate little milestones and know that like the advice I always give there is if you go through a miscarriage or a loss or the worst case scenario, that is going to be awful no matter what. Mm-hmm. If you get excited, it's going to be awful. But if you don't get excited, it's still going to be awful to go through a loss. Right. So I really tried to, as much as possible, allow myself to get excited and feel the joy and do all of the different things. We did a gender reveal. We did all those things that I've always wanted to do and just allow myself to do that. The pregnancy had a lot of ups and downs. I also get really, really bad morning sickness, like throwing it multiple times a day. I can't leave my bed. And so then also being able to like be grateful for it when it's kind of like mm-hmm. in some ways the pregnancy itself is the hardest thing I've ever experienced because I feel so awful in the moment. So being able to be grateful for that and then feeling this like conflict of well, I feel awful, but after everything I've been through, I should be so grateful. So how yep. can I complain? Mm-hmm. There was a lot to deal with there. And again, that's where my therapist really helped walk through breathing techniques or visualization or mantras that I would walk through every day because it definitely, yeah, it was a whole journey in and of itself, just getting through that pregnancy. What you said is something that I say to patients often. What you say is that pregnancy loss is is very hard regardless of you braced yourself for it, right? Brene Brown calls it dress rehearsing tragedy. Yes. You have this idea of that, oh, this is not going to go well. It's not going to go well. It didn't make it easier for you when you go through the loss. So I really think, as you said, trying to really celebrate those little milestones and it's hard. And I really think what you did working with somebody, it's really important. Did you ever experience kind of people giving you a lot of outside advice? You should do this. Maybe you should try that. How did you cope with all the advice that comes from friends or even people you may not know very well? There is, there's a lot out there. And I try to not even like let it in. I try and remind myself it's coming from a good place. And so a lot of times I just smile and nod, but it can be difficult. And it really depends. Sometimes the words can just hit you at the wrong time and and everyone's going to be sensitive to different things. So I try to give the person saying it grace that they're just meaning well, but it was hard to hear, especially after adopting because there's a lot of, well, now that you've done this, mm-hmm. you know, everything will be easy. And of course, like I did have a biological pregnancy after that, but I don't think that was like the one magical thing that enabled me to have a pregnancy. So yeah, I just try and remind myself that they come from a good place when they're giving all of their advice, but Mm -hmm. I try to cut it off too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we get invited to events like baby showers or weddings or certain events that someone might find triggering when they're going through this, what advice do you give based on your experience for women who are worried about attending events? I think you have to know yourself and set boundaries, right? And there were some things that I wish I would have known more in advance, like 
For example, Mother's Day at church, I wish I would have known and realized in advance like what that was going to look like and just not gone that day. Mm -hmm. Um, One year, there was a baby shower. It ended up the scheduling didn't work out, but there was one that I was prepared to call my friend one-on-one and be like, look, I can't attend this. There were other ones I was able to attend. So I think it's just checking in with yourself. And then if you can't attend something, I think it's totally okay. And you need to really be able to do that and just call the person and explain. I think people are really going to give you a lot of grace as long as you're able to open up a little bit. And and you don't have to. I mean, you don't have to share that if you're not comfortable. But you really like having boundaries for yourself and preparing yourself is is so important. And you have to put yourself first in those situations. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's okay to say no if it's something that, you know, you're not going to do well. It's going to be something that's going to affect you physically, mentally, it's okay to say no. I think sometimes we feel guilty. Oh, it's my really good friend or I have to go to this event, but you don't take care of yourself. That's the priority, like you said, right? Yeah. And if you're a really good friend, they're going to understand. And if they don't, you're probably not a really good friend. (laughs) 100%. That's right. If it's somebody that's going to be upset with you because you don't attend the event, then you're right that they don't belong in your life. You touched a little bit on it earlier, but how did you decide that you wanted to kind of share your story publicly because it can be challenging and difficult sometimes to have to go through it over and over. Yeah, well, it was one of those things. One, as I was like, as I was going through everything, whenever I just come of those things, when my husband and I would sit down and talk about everything we were going through, we're both entrepreneurs by background. And I, we both would just say, there's got to be more out there, like resource-wise for women specifically going through recurrent loss. And we just kept coming back to it time and again. I was like, well, I'm going to create it. When I created it, I knew that part of that had to be sharing my story. And just because I wanted to see stories of women going through what I was going through and to help women to see it's not your fault. And I consider myself pretty healthy to start. You know, I'm a dietitian and I eat healthy. (laughs) I do consider myself a healthy person. And I don't think it was anything I was doing wrong. And I want other women to see that and not have that guilt and shame that sometimes comes with it. So I don't think everyone has to publicly share their story, especially not online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, me, I wanted to do that just to help other women that are struggling with similar issues to be able to see that like they're not alone because I really wish I would have had that. Was there any healing for you that came out of creating Miscarriage Hope Desk? Yeah, I think there is some of that too. You know, I don't think you want to say there's ever a purpose in going through Mm -hmm. something, but me being able to share this with others helps me kind of give back to what I went through. And I always say if I can help women prevent one miscarriage, to someone who hasn't been through it, maybe they don't understand what that means. But to me, Mm -hmm. being able to prevent one loss, that can be my life's work right there, right? Because each loss is so difficult. And until you go through it, it's hard to understand. But going back to when I had told my husband, I don't know what my number is, but there's going to be a number where where you give up. And I don't want that for women, right? Like if you want a family and then you find yourself in this situation, each loss just really is so much to go through physically, emotionally. And I can help give people the resources and tools to, you know, figure out how to deal with everything that's going on. And I want to do that. So... Yeah, I agree. What's the feedback that you've gotten from women online after putting out Miscarriage Hope Desk? 
It's been really amazing. And some of it's been a little surprising. So one surprising thing to me has been that I thought the audience would all be women that are like going through miscarriage. And a lot of the audience is women that have gone through it in the past and they still are struggling with these feelings and coming to terms with everything and haven't shared it with anyone. And again, you don't need to share it on like a a large Mm -hmm. platform, but you know, some women haven't shared with their partners or with their family and you need to figure out if and when you're comfortable. But I think just holding that in can really weigh on you as a person and being able to feel comfortable to to share that and go through the the process of grief. There's a grieving process mm-hmm. that needs to happen. And I think when women see Miscarriage Hope Desk, they really relate to that. And then, of course, we do have the large portion of the audience is women that are unfortunately going through it. And the feedback we've received keeps me motivated to keep on doing what we're doing because I know that we really are touching the lives of of so many women struggling with this, which is what I was setting out to do. It's so fabulous that you've done this and I'm sure you're helping so many women. When you were going through your losses, you mentioned a little bit of being online. Was that through Facebook groups or social media? Where did you get your support? I I wish I would have had more support, um, to be honest, but I, towards the end, I did join a few Facebook groups. They had positive and negative aspects to them. Mm -hmm. And I did always search for podcasts. Every now and then I would strike like one that would resonate with me. And then at one point I joined an in-person group and it's okay to have different stories, but the group that I joined, one of the women had had I think maybe a stillbirth. And so it was just like different points. And so it just wasn't quite resonating there. And I did have locally a few friends that were going through their own infertility journeys. So I really connected with them and we supported each other along the way. But I did not feel like I had a group of other women that were experiencing anything that was that similar to me, which again, that's why I (laughs) wanted to have that resource. And we do, we have a a free Facebook group. And even on Instagram, it's been really interesting to watch interactions on Instagram. I think there's something about how it's not completely anonymous, but I think it feels anonymous enough that people feel comfortable, like kind of sharing, Mm -hmm. connecting. And I wasn't expecting that really, because that wouldn't have been like when I was going through, that's not where I would have gone. But I love that that has happened and that women are they're like in the comments really sharing and helping each other out. I'm not always facilitating that. They're doing it together. So, Yeah, I think social media sometimes can provide if you want to be anonymous, if you want to have your profile private and still be able to comment and share, it can be therapeutic for mm-hmm. somebody who's trying to find community. So yeah, I think your platform is great that allows people to really connect because yeah, there's a big, large infertility community, but the community that's dealing with recurrent pregnancy loss is much smaller. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard sometimes to find that community because it's a different experience than the women who are going through infertility. They're, they're similar, but mm-hmm. they're different. Right. So sometimes it's hard for you to feel like that person or people online may be understanding the experience that you are going through. Yeah. What advice do you have for someone who's listening, who's unfortunately gone through a pregnancy loss, maybe feeling overwhelmed? They might be stuck and they just really don't know what to do next. I would say first, stop, take a really deep breath and continue to do that. I really think there's something important to like 
taking a break, even if it's just a minute or a day or something, but taking a pause and knowing that you have options out there. And then from there, find what feels right for you. Do some research if that feels right. If it's overwhelming, then you don't have to go too crazy with that. But also, you know, find the resources out there. There are doctors out there that specialize in recurrent loss. So try and connect with those resources that are out there. You know, Miscarriage Hope Desk can be a great starting point. That's one of the goals too, is to connect all the great resources that are out there that can help you as you're going through that. And really, you just have to find what resonates with you. But I I also do recommend testing. Again, Mm -hmm. this is like the research piece. Take the pause first before you go and get too deep into that. But I do think that it's important to at least do some testing to see if there's something that's there that you could help, right? Like sometimes you can Mm -hmm. find something out when you're testing, like, oh, I can make these adjustments and give myself a better chance for the next time. So I do recommend doing that as well. I agree with that. And if you're not getting the answers, like you had said that your doctor was really supportive in you getting testing after a Mm -hmm. second, that's not always the case, that there are sometimes some patients who may not be feeling heard. What advice do you have for women who are not feeling heard and how can they advocate for themselves in the doctor's office? I have a lot of thoughts there, but one of the biggest ones is come prepared with questions, all that. But if you are not happy with the doctor that you're with, it's your option to change to a different doctor and don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to ask and interview. Remember when I was talking about my IVF journey, like I didn't go with the first clinic that I went to. I think that was clinic number four that we had interviewed that I finally felt like the doctor understood me and my story and my situation. So don't be afraid to do that. And when you go in, I say always come with a list of typed out questions and get through all of them. Make sure your doctor's addressing those. And that way you can really understand this is something that you need to have the right healthcare professional that's helping you, but you also need to take control and you need to know what labs you've had done and really take charge of some of that and be your own advocate. And the doctors are doing their best, but sometimes you need to also take ownership over it and don't just put it all on them either. Yeah, I agree. I think it's important to know what tests you've had done and get other opinions. And if you feel really connected with your doctor, great. Stay with that doctor. If you feel like you want to get a second opinion, even if you like your doctor, there's nothing wrong with that. Getting another opinion and making sure you're on the right track. And some women out there might be asking for testing after their second loss. And I've had women who've come in after multiple loss and never had testing. I mean, I think it's good after a second loss to reach out to your doctor to see if you can get tested. That's the recommendation now. It used to be three. The recommendation now is really getting some preliminary tests at least after two. Because, you know, if you do have an issue going on, you want to at least be able to see what can be done. You know, unfortunately, yes, there are a lot of women who have an unexplained case Mm -hmm. and they don't have answers, which can be extremely frustrating and difficult. But I think it's good to be able to see if you have something that potentially could be corrected that could help you to be more successful the next time you try. Yeah, I agree. You know, we mentioned getting stuck. And you have a course that helps women with this. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's called Moving Forward, and it's definitely something I wish I had had when I was at those kind of crossroads of what do I do now? Like, I've had these losses. I feel like 
I don't know what to do, right? I, I don't feel like I want to keep doing the same thing, but I know I want a family. So like, how do I make these decisions? What should I change? Should I like pause and implement some sort of protocol or should I just keep moving forward? What should I do? And so this course really takes you step by step through six weeks of modules, everything from how to make those decisions to looking at all the different types of um, modalities that you could use. What does the research say about things like acupuncture, chiropractic work? Is there any research there? So just really looking at that and looking at options. So that was one thing I felt like a lot of times, especially like a doctor, like they wouldn't say, oh, you have all of these options. A doctor is not going to say adoption is one of your options, but it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're like really taking a step back and saying, what are all of the options I have? And are we at a place where surrogacy is an option? Or maybe we've decided we don't want to have a family, like really laying out all of the options. So the course really walks people through that work and doing that work um, and including your spouse in that. So just all those different steps from, okay, we're going through recurrent loss. What do I do to move forward? How do I do this really? intentionally. I think that's great that you created this out of something that would have been helpful for yourself because, yeah, as you said, you're trying to find the support and how to move forward. So I think that's great. If you are somebody that's listening, please check out Allison's course on Miscarriage Hope Desk, and we'll put the information in the show notes so you can take a look at that and see if that's something that you would like to get involved with. In closing. I am a huge proponent of supporting mental health. And I think that one of the difficulties can be for someone who's struggling with infertility or someone who's struggling with recurrent loss is sort of putting your life on hold, right? And not really experiencing the day-to-day joys because it seems like there can't be joy when I'm going through something that's so difficult. How did you handle that and able to still find joy while you were going through the challenges? That one's tough because there were days where I didn't have very much joy, but there were a lot of little things. Like after the first miscarriage, I got a second cat. I knew (laughs) that I needed something to help comfort me. And I thought that was a Good point in time to ask my husband if maybe we should get a second cap. I think getting a a pet is a really good way to help if you're grieving and going through a difficult time. And then going through periods of focusing on it and then not focusing on it and giving myself timelines and giving myself a a, like a literal break of, okay, I'm going to revisit this, but I'm going to give myself a a few days off or I'm going to take a vacation And maybe not focus on it at all. So just figuring out what's right for you in the moment. Also, again, playing that future game of someday I'm going to look back on this. I'm not going to still be in this situation in five years or 10 years down the road. Mm -hmm. Just knowing that it is all going to work out eventually. It just doesn't seem that way in the moment. I think that taking breaks is so key and so important because I think one of the other issues is often you feel pressure, right? Time pressure. There's this clock we have to race against because perhaps you're someone that might be of advanced maternal age. Unfortunately, I hate that term. But many women fall into that category and then you feel like, well, how am I supposed to take a break? Do you have any advice for that woman? Yeah. And I felt that a lot, right? Like I felt the pressure of the clock. But looking back, I felt that. But it took a few years and then I had my son at 
38, but you know, it all worked out just fine. And so I think also just knowing sometimes like taking the break now really can benefit you in the future. And so yes, time is passing, but I think it really is beneficial to take that break and to know if you look at the time in a more backed up aerial view, it's going to be beneficial to take the break, even though time is passing. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think it's always good to take a break, regardless if you're in a situation where you feel like time is going by or you're losing time because it's more important for you to get in the right mental space because then the long run is going to definitely benefit you. I always think of my story of I had the pregnancy, I had that miscarriage, and then I took a break and I ended up, you know, my first son was born the day I should have given birth during that third pregnancy. And I never in a million years would have believed that that could have happened mm -hmm. that fast. So, but, you know, I gave myself a break. That was the power in it. Yeah, I think it's so important. Thank you so much, Allison, for being here with us today, for sharing your story. I know that it's difficult to have to you know, tell your story. Sometimes it can be challenging, but I know that there's a lot of women out there who can provide hope for them. Where can listeners find you and learn more about Miscarriage Hope Desk? So the website's the best place to start. So it's just miscarriagehopedesk.com. And then we have the Instagram account, which is Miscarriage Hope Desk, the Facebook group and the podcast. And they all are under the name Miscarriage Hope Desks. Pretty easy to find. I'll put all that in the show notes. And I highly encourage anyone listening who's interested to take a look at the website and the podcast. Such wonderful resources for anybody who's unfortunately dealing with this struggle. So thank you again, Allison. I really appreciate you being here today. We'll talk soon. Thank you. And I just want to say thank you so much. I didn't mention the episode, but Dr. Salem does sit on the advisory board for Miscarriage Hope Desk, and we really appreciate the contributions. It is a team effort at Miscarriage Hope Desk. So thank you so much for your support. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure to be part of such a wonderful project. And I was so excited when I was invited to see something like this for women who are dealing with recurrent pregnancy loss. Thank you again, Allison. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Take care. The Fertility Journeys podcast. Thank you for listening today. Episodes of Fertility Journeys drop every week. Follow wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at fertilityjourneys.org. Next time on the Fertility Journeys podcast. Welcome, Fiza. What do you think was holding you back initially from pursuing fertility preservation and ultimately deciding to freeze your eggs? Just generalized anxiety about the process because there isn't a lot of information about it. Taking real ownership of it felt foreign because it's always been, you're a woman, of course, if you want to have kids, it's going to happen for you, right? Because that's your body's function to do this thing. So it was one of those things where I need to know, but I don't want to know. But if, if I have to do something about it, that's going to scare me. Yeah, I, I think it definitely can be scary because you're not sure. I was just very nervous about the whole thing. I didn't know what to expect necessarily. I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of just trepidation about the whole thing. I tried to go in with a really positive mindset. I was lucky to have a medical professional who was very understanding and patient. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Please consult with your own physician as information shared on this podcast is not a substitute for medical advice.